0: Welcome back to another episode of Unconventional Ways. Today we'll be talking with Goddick Symphony on some really good topics. We'll be discussing gender identity, sexuality and spirituality and kink, leather, and a bit about impact and water sports. Uh, a little about Goddick Symphony before we get started. Goddick Symphony's pronouns are she said, she, her, hers, they said, they, them, theirs, and you. Goddick Symphony's lifestyle journey started over nine years ago in Baltimore. In those years, Godic Symphony has traveled the country attending events, presenting classes, and having a pretty good time. Godic Symphony also served as a president of the Mid-Atlantic Onyx Pearls and worked with perverts of color. We'll talk more about those, hopefully. Uh, currently, Godic Symphony is Miss DC Eagle 2020 and identifies as a dominant Cat sadist, and Leather Auntie. Yeah. <laughs> So without further ado, let's get let's get it. So you've been in lifestyle for nine years. Uh, What was your introduction to BDSM and kink? Uh,
1: so my introduction, um, like I grew up seeing little bits of it here and there. And for those who don't know, um, I used to be a romance novel junkie when I was fifteen. So those those poorly written and researched schmutt little comic uh, (laughs) schmutt. I used to read, and there were a couple there that, you know, just brought up some ideas and some things that I'd never really heard about. Uh, And I grew up in a household where uh, my dad's best friend used to have Thomas of Finland um, magnets up on his uh, refrigerator and all that stuff. So I just grew up with it around me. But it wasn't until uh, I would say around my mid to late 20s that I decided to actually be more intentional about it. So I started off at the time of Yahoo Groups. uh, And I was a (laughs) real lurker in those groups, uh, just having my name funny enough back then I think I used the same name. Um, (laughs) But just lurking in those groups and reading things and seeing how folks interacted with one another and how it was just like this different vibe that you see um, out and about. So it kind of gave me a good little uh, opening to see like what some of this could really be, what it could look like, how it's not always just in the bedroom, Smack me on my ass a little bit and just go from there.
0: So you're you're on the Yahoo, um, good old Yahoo days. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, at what age were you on Yahoo? And you're like, okay, this is something that I'm interested in and now I gotta be more intentional and go out there and find this community.
1: Yeah, I would say it was around the mid 20s. Like I said, I'd always seen uh, some aspects of kink and leather around me, but it wasn't until like my mid 20s when I was coming out of, when I was in the midst of and coming out of a really bad relationship where I was just like, I know there has to be something more. There has to be something more. There are these things that I see and I wanna try and he's not into it. And you know, there's gotta be something more. And it was just like, okay, I don't have to say a word as long as they don't kick me out I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to join this group and I'm just going to lurk and that's literally what I did and I would just go in and I would read and just be fascinated by the conversation and the the ideas and the topics. so it was just it was wild
0: so when what what was your first um party that you went to or our event because you know some people hit up munches sloshes uh kickbacks stuff like that before they can actually attend a party but also like some cities have public um play spaces and dungeons
1: yeah the first uh the first event like actual real-time event that i went to was um the baltimore beyond much okay and i had been scoping that out for over a year on fat life because by that time i joined fat life and i've been scoping it out for more than a year it was not too far from where I lived um, by Baltimore standards <laughs> and so it was just like all right bet like I'm just gonna go like it's, it's 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 just now or never I'm gonna go so that was like the first event that had any ties to kink but my first actual like party or convention was uh the very last black beat which was amazing and phenomenal and completely just just blew the doors open for me, completely blew the doors open for me.
0: So you identify as a dominant, a cat, a fetus, and a ledger auntie. Um, with all those identities, what are your, your go-to kinks or fetishes?
1: Uh, So some of my go-to kinks, like uh, DS and power exchange, uh, authority exchange is really big for me. I love it. Um, I love the amount of vulnerability and intimacy that's involved in that, even if it's just for a few moments. I like controlling and it feeds into my sadist, (laughs) uh, which definitely gets down and has some fun. Um, Some other kinks, like I said, I'm into water sports. I think it's just, it's just fucking awesome to pee on people. I think it's just, Fabulous to pee on people to watch them drink my just, It just, it gives me the warm and fuzzies. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. Um, something that I don't get to indulge in a lot, but I really enjoy is human furniture. I love human furniture. Um, just the objectification aspect of it and the creativity that's involved with, you know, human furniture play. Like, you know, you can make someone a table, lamp, chair, whatever you can come up with. Like, however you can think of training using people to actually make these structures that we have in our lives and in our homes. It's just, it's so creative and awesome and just such a cool way to play with um, objectification. That's not always highly sexual. It can still be sensual. It can still, you know, be interactive. It's of course objectifying, but it's not always tied to just like sex, which I really, I like that aspect of it. I really love that.
0: But do you have a, f- a favorite piece of furniture that you like um, that you kind of go to like, yeah, I need you to come be just lamp while I read or something like that? <laughs> uh,
1: not yet. Like It's a kink that I don't get to do that often. One okay. of the last times I actually got to do it um, was at an event and someone actually came. It was my ottoman uh, during an orgy, which was just great. So just sitting there, feet propped up on my human ottoman, just like, this is nice. This is nice. Got-
0: just sometimes just I mean- you got to go back to yeah, I'm having those thoughts uh, of like, you know, like how you see, I guess, like, I uh, remember the time when they're in they're carrying in the, uh, was the Pharaoh's wife into the chamber, like these movies where you have like Cleopatra being carried around by men. So I'm just like, all right, that, that's interesting. <laughs> so, but it, it plays into someone's kink in their fetish, though.
1: Yeah, it really, it really does. Like, I, I think once we take a moment and step back and really, examine the things that we do and why we like to do it it's a lot of stuff that's like the lines are blurred between kink and fetish and like so-called mundane stuff that we like to do like there are some simple things that we do that just brings us sensual pleasure right not just sexual pleasure but sensual pleasure that we don't recognize until somebody else points that out or you know the good old trusty rusty internet shows that there's porn for that and you're like oh my god like yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so you you talked about water sports. So tell us a bit about water sports. How you were introduced to it, um, and then we'll kind of expand out of that.
1: Uh, so mine's is a little weird. <laughs> um, it's not weird, but it's gonna sound weird. Like I was always that. Like everybody knows when you're a kid or when you're like growing up, you're trying to rush home because you got to pee and you've been holding it for the longest time. Um. I, I worked a lot through my high school years and it had got and oftentimes when I got off after work it was just like buses are running slow it's hard to get home and it got to the point where it's like I can't do the pp dance at the door anymore I'm just gonna like it's whatever I'm just gonna throw toss and close because I can't afford to do this and like keep going through that so it was one of the first times that I actually started getting comfortable kind of with like doing that and not in uh, you know, like, I want to wear a diaper just kind of way, but just like, hey, pee, pee, pee happens. Like my bladder just ain't having it. Um, my bladder's not going to hold it. And then once I came into the community and kind of saw that there was a space for people who were actually into it, it fed into my, you know, it feeds into my control. It's I love peeing on people because it's like, haha, even in my mind, even if it's just for a moment, I'm like, I peed on it. I own it. That's mine. That's mine I feed on it. I, I want it. it I love it it feeds that like primal like cat energy in me to be able to like pee on people um I like going to the bathroom coming back with a glass and just like who's gonna are we doing this who's who's taking it and it's just like to see that's like you're willing to do that you're willing to take mm-hmm. what most people consider waste and just like put that on your skin drink that in like it feeds that it feeds that part of me that likes control feeds that part of me that likes to be empowered just like yeah and on like some occasions depending on where I'm at how far gone I am and like the head high sometimes if I'm bottoming I'll go ahead and get paid on so it's just like it depends on where I'm at it's just this way to play with something that feels kind of taboo that we don't talk about um that we don't, yeah, that we don't talk about and We just consider just like, holy, disgusting. And it's just like, it's not, it's one of those few things that I can think of. It's like, once you do, it's not that bad. Like it doesn't have to be your kink, but pee is really not that bad.
0: Usually I like would hear people, they're okay with being peed on if it's, um you got to be sure you get stung by a jellyfish. Cause like, oh, well you need to, you need to let them pee on your leg. <laughs> so I guess That's people are like, all right, just pee on my leg so it can go away kind of situation.
1: <laughs> no, no. And the worst part about it is, it doesn't even work to cure the, the jellyfish thing. So right, you just let right, it wet. Right. But it's like, right. why not have fun with it? Why not have some? Why not have some fun with it? Like we do other "quote unquote" disgusting stuff in the pursuit of sex and gank. Mm-hmm. Just one other thing, like that some people may consider disgusting, but people like me are like, fuck yeah, let's do it.
0: I have some friends that are into it. I'm like, live your life. So what what was your most memorable water sports session?
1: Um, I have to say it's with uh I call my husband the hubs. Um, mm. it was really just like one good time we were uh after a scene, it was a really good impact scene. Um got my ass thoroughly beat. And mm. it's just like come in the bathroom, and he just like half drags me by my hair, like not caveman style, but just like leads me on all fours by my hair into the bathroom and just like puts the fucking shower cap on my hair because we appreciate that. We appreciate (laughs) it. And then just puts me in the tub and just pees all over me, all over the bruises and stuff. And I'm just like, (sighs) yeah, like this is great. Cause it's just like that, that I'm in that bottom space, that subby space. And it's just like it was it was so dope. It was so dope.
0: It sounds like you you kind of, I guess a bit of aftercare in a way.
1: Uh yeah, a, a little bit, a little of a a turn down. I, I'm not huge on aftercare. Like usually mm-hmm. I'm the type of person where especially if I'm bottoming, it's just like beat my ass. Okay. It's I get up off the table and it's just like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but for us it was it was kind of a continuation of the scene but kind of like you know like let down towards the end of the game and you know, all of that stuff so that it was more so that but it was still very much so because he and i were still in our ds dynamic at that time so it still was very much like you're gonna take this i can do whatever i want to you you know my fuck i can do whatever i want to you and you're just gonna take it like we hadn't talked about it beforehand we had t- before that particular scene, but we had talked about it in conversation, and I let him know that I was okay with it. So it was one of those things, just like, "Ha, I don't even know it's coming." Dragged in by my hair, like I don't know where I'm crawling to. I'm just crawling. So it's just like, what "Okay, with it?" <laughs> yeah, but it's like I trust you implicitly. Right. So this is what we're going to go ahead and do it. It was just one of those moments where it's just like being able to just flow into this space of being able to trust your partner, trust what they're doing how they're handling you even though it's rough it's still with care because you can handle someone roughly and still with care and it's just like all of that just mixed into one and it was it was great Mm -hmm.
0: so you spoke on impact play um do you have some favorite toys impact wise if you're compared to you being the top versus the bottom
1: ah so uh first off my favorite toys always are my hands okay Uh, i'm very tactile in that way i like to punch and grab and you know squeeze and 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 I like to pinch and do all of those types of things so like I really enjoy doing that I don't do it as much as I used to because you know carpal tunnel's a bitch and all that stuff you got to deal with but um that's usually my first go-to because it's really good to warm someone up and like I'm fairly short in real life. Like I've had people tell me they thought I was like tall and I am like short in real life. And people are like, oh no, we don't have to worry about her. And then I'm like, and they're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> so these are always my first favorite toys. Um, I actually have, um, I like this uh, Thumper set which is mm. from Agreeable Agony.
0: And- yeah.
1: Like, I like it because it's unassuming as well. But if you look right there, you see all of that rolled up leather. Oh, A okay. really, really good. Buddy right. A
0: Good buddy. Yeah. yeah. Just like
1: coming at somebody. <laughs> and it's really cool to like jiggle the butt with it. You can just. <laughs> eh, 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 eh. I like this one. This is one of my favorites. Um, I love wooden spoons. Okay. I love wooden like kitchen utensils. Spoons and spatulas, just because of the feel that they have in my hand. They're good for giving a little bit of sting if you know how to hit it, just just right. But you can also thud it, thud it out. So like, I love wooden spoons, wooden uh, spatulas, and things. And I like, I love it especially if I go off and like wind up breaking them on somebody. It's like, hey, here's your trophy. You earned that. If I could break a wooden spoon off on you and you just taking it. You earned, like, take this, mount this shit on your wall. You fucking earned your fucking wooden spoon. Um, Yeah, so, like, these are some of my favorites. And, like, this is one of my absolute favorites. I'm actually working on becoming more proficient with it. Um, My short snake whip. I really enjoy it. Um, As a bottom myself, I'm not into stingy at all. So the fact that like I like to do it as a status because most people are like, I prefer study to stinging. It's like, if I get you to a certain place, would you be willing to play with some stinging? Maybe. So seeing people go past their, you know what mm-hmm. they could do. Right. It's awesome. And I love this toy because it, there's a wide range of how it can feel on the body and the skin. And I didn't know until I actually sat under someone's whip to feel it. And it's just like, it can be as soft as like nails lightly grazing across your skin to of course that when it hits the skin tearing you know it can
0: be you know that can be kind of triggering for some folks especially with black people and yeah. the history of slavery in the country so is was that something you kind of had to get over or people who would kind of watch you in the scene you had to get over
1: Oh, yeah no I definitely had to get over it like I definitely had to get over it when I first came into the scene it was like no masters no slaves um, I definitely was like I'm never doing whip play ain't nobody gonna whip me I was fortunate enough that the person that I um let whip me was a black person so it took away some of that dynamic of you know the racial tension that can happen with um if I play with whips um but I really had to spend more time in here and see if it was just the racial aspect of it that, you know, the historical racial aspect of it that kept me from doing it, or if it was something that I actually didn't like. And then if that's the case, then, hey, I can just do this with people, with Black people, because I'm not going to say people of color, with Black people, where it takes that aspect of it away. And for me, that's what it was. It wasn't necessarily, it was that, that historical context associated with that kept me. Sitting back from it, but the actual act itself wasn't something that I thought was horrible, just the way in which it had been used. So,
0: well, and you said, so that as a bottom, you can only deal with black people, as a top, using it, anybody can
1: get it, or uh, to a certain degree, yeah, I don't. Now, as a bottom, only black people, I just it just doesn't happen. I honestly, honest to God, I just don't play with a lot of people outside of black folks and other people of color. Mm-hmm. play with a lot of people as a bottom outside of that. And that's just, again, my own personal comfort. Like when I first came in, I did some stuff um, with, you know, white folks as my, as, as a top and me being bottoming to them. And it wasn't bad experiences per se, but those little microaggressions start to slide mm-hmm. up in there. And I'm like, you know what, if I want to be vulnerable and intimate in these spaces, that's one less thing I want to have to deal with.
0: Right, right.
1: So I'm gonna just put that to the side. Um, yeah, I rarely bottom for um, white people in anything. That's just anything, period. However, I will top like, damn near anybody can get it. Um, damn near anybody can get it. Anybody can catch these hands for
0: a- do every,
1: <laughs> every motherfucking body. <laughs> it, but, but for me, it's, it's a lot more, again, I don't seek out white partners as a top. I just mm-hmm. don't have, have, never will. Um, if something happens and I'm doing like a demo station at a party or something like that, I'll consider doing it. But like, no, for the most part, it's just not, but I also frequent a lot of places where that doesn't pop up. Most of the events and things that I go to are POC focused. So I don't have to worry about that. Like I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be where I'm at, where I don't have to worry about you know, not having spaces and parties where I'm the only Black person in a sea of white people. Like, I don't have to worry about that. There's always something happening for people of color, even if it's not just us, it's it's, it's more than just me there. So that that I am fortunate enough in.
0: So you, you spoke on being Leather. Uh, this is a huge topic. We might have to do another call to fully get it all. Um, but I definitely want to touch on it. Um, can you introduce us a bit to Leather Kink culture, your journey in Leather, and talk about your leather family? Cause I know you mentioned um the Onyx Pearls. I know a few, I know a few Onyx Pearls. They're awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so It's really hard for a lot of people to uh, describe leather as a community and a kink, um, just basically because you ask 10 different people, you get 10 different answers. Um, But the basic idea around it is either people are into leather for the actual feel of leather on their skin. Um, Some people are fetishists in that way. And then there are some people who are into leather for the specific community that comes around that, um, which is all about building these very specific bonds that are focused Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes focused on service, uh, community care, um, and you'll see people throw out buzzwords like honor, integrity, respect, and you know it all depends. But for me, leather is all about the communal aspect. It focuses so much more on the communal aspect of something outside of yourself, um, outside of your direct uh, dynamic that you have or the people that you're playing with. It's about the community at large. That's what leather is for me when it comes to kink and the kink community. Um, it's something that I grew up with. I grew up with a family on both of my sides where it's like, do it for the fam. Um, you know, always keeping the idea of family and duty and responsibility at the forefront. Uh, not always in the best ways, definitely not always in the best ways, but it was definitely something that was ingrained in me at a very young age. Uh, I served in the military, so I got very used to the idea of we're not always equal in social stature, but we're, you know, we're equal as human beings, but we're not always equal in social stature. Um, And it wasn't until again, like I came into the community and I came into more of the kink and fetish side. uh, And then I started hanging out. um, I went to a Onyx Mid-Atlantic, the Men of Onyx Mid-Atlantic bar night, uh, which the uh, first ever president of the Mid-Atlantic Onyx Pearls took me to. And just being there in this space, and like again, remember, I grew up looking at Tom of Finland magnets mm-hmm. on uh, on the refrigerator and reading these books that are by white authors, of course, talking about leather and motorcycles and this and that. And then to go into this space and it's a party, and it's just a room full of black people in that leather vest, jack straps, you know, harnesses, and it's just like okay, so like, I wasn't crazy. We really do do this. Okay. Okay. We really do do this in like real time. It's not linked to just, you know, being on your motorcycle and that's how you're in leather. It's, it's really a kink. We're really a part of the kink side of this and just being there. And I was warmly welcomed. And at that time I was just like, this is probably about like now that's like probably like six or seven years ago. Yeah, it was before I got married, so seven years ago, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I mean, I like hanging out with them, but I don't know if I'm like them. I don't know if I'm leather. I don't like. I don't like the idea of calling somebody sir. I don't like the idea of just, you know, doing all this shit and being extra formal. Oh my god, I hated formality back then. I was still on the rebel stage. I'm not going to be super formal. Fuck high protocol. Blah blah blah. <laughs> but I kept going and I kept going and I was having conversations um, with. Uh, I'm the first president of the Mid-Atlantic Onyx Pearls. And she was just to just come. She was like, what you have to realize is that leather is who you are. It's who you are and it's how you show up and it's how you live your values. And as I continue to go through that process of just hanging out with all different stripes and types of people, especially black and brown people who consider themselves leather, I could see myself fitting into this space because I didn't have to change who I was in order to be leather. I could just be myself in leather. Uh, And I went through the process of pledging through um, the Mid-Atlantic Onyx Pearls, uh, was part of the second line, uh, came back in and actually eventually became president, was voted in as president, um, which was really huge for me. I learned a lot about what leadership looks like for me, um, both the good and the bad. Um, and I learned a lot about the leather community, uh, some of the good things and some of the not so great things. Um, there's always some type of leather hullabaloo going on with you said this and he said that and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. But what it really hammered home to me is my first on a list of what I consider my personal leather values. authenticity is first. And I tell people, even if I'm not wearing my leather vest, my boots, my, you know, my belt, I am always in leather. My leather is my skin. My skin is weathered from just living this life for 38 years, living life for 38 years. It is, it is the home of the very essence of me. And the leather family that has come to me, um, these are people that, appreciate and do the same thing. So I have a leather brother and a leather sister. Um, I'm actually the head of the household. Um, I have a baby girl. Um, I have a leather daughter who is absolutely freaking amazing. I have another leather brother. Um, I have my upline who's actually uh my great grand sash dad. Um, he's Mr. DC Eagle 2017. Um, so it's like just being in these spaces and continuing to be around folks I just continue to find people who lived these truths as best as they could not perfectly but as best as they could authenticity integrity respect and service and we like to do nasty kinky fucked up shit so it's like all of that kind of wrapped up together in one so like that's a little bit of that's a little bit of leather for me just just connecting and connecting beyond myself with my kink and my service
0: so you know I always tell people this lifestyle isn't cheap um <laughs> now I know leather is expensive just on the regular so what's your what's your most expensive or most prized uh piece of leather for your for for, for you
1: My most prized possession, I did not pay for. It was actually gifted to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a white leather jacket that was gifted to me um, when, um, uh, during the first line that crossed while I was president by the previous president, Mistress Jill Carter, actually the first black woman to win international Miss Leather. Um, she gifted me three pieces of leather and like I still look at that and I'm just like me me and it's first of all it's white leather and I live I live to fuck up a color scheme in a fucking uh leather event Just show up in some color because everybody's wearing black so I live to show up in white or red or something like that but to just look at that like I didn't pay a dime for it but that really is my most prized possession. It's between that and my cover. I was actually covered by, um, uh, my great grand, um, and this is the cover that he's given me. So like, um, actually, uh, denoted me as gothics So yeah, like most of my prized possessions, I did, I never paid for them. They were gifted to me. And that's, that's something that I think like as much there's a big debate in leather about, oh, you don't have to wait for someone to buy your leather. You should buy buy yourself. And I completely agree with that. I truly do. Um, I just wish that in this push to understand that leather is expensive and you shouldn't have to wait, that we still, we don't forget what it actually means to gift and pass on leather. Like, I just don't want us to forget that because first of all, it takes care of the issue with how much do you have enough money for proper gear, proper gear and uh, uh, and quotes, because I will show up in Tim's and damn somebody tell me that shit ain't leather. Uh, <laughs> so it takes away the aspect of it. But it's also, again, if we are talking about leather and the communal aspect of it in the service aspect of it and being able to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, gifting leather is a very, it's a it's a very clear way to say, hey, I see you. each time I got my leather it's like hey I see you I love what you're doing and who you are and how you're living your life here like that's what that was for me that's what that's why they're so important to me
0: that's big because you know not not everyone has that aspect of kink or actually understand it and having found a community where someone sees them yeah, and has gifted them any just anything outside of being leather. Yeah, so that's that's huge, you know. Um, so tell tell us a little about DC Eagle.
1: Ah, uh, uh, DC Eagle. Um, so the DC Eagle was, uh, one of uh, the lar- longest running, um, and largest gay bars uh, in the United States up until it uh, shut down last year. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last year.
0: Cut down because of COVID or cut down because of just?
1: It is completely gone. Like, the building oh, okay. is gone and everything. So, oh, like, okay. it's cut okay. down because of COVID, but um, the rights and everything were so wild. We were still in the midst of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the D.C. Eagle Bar, it actually started off like most Eagle Bars, it was a um, leather bar space for folks to show up and kind of engage in leather culture. You know, mm-hmm. you can cruise and not have to worry about, you know, it being an issue or a problem. There's always the infamous black back rooms and Eagle Spaces where like uh, you could go in and like whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, but there's like always, especially back then in the beginning of the years, it was very heavily um, masculine and male dominated spaces. However, when you speak to folks, they will <laughs> consistently remind you that like, while it was dominated by men, that, that does not mean that there were not uh, women and gender non-conforming people in these spaces. Not as much we were there, but just not as much. That's not who it catered to in the beginning, but the DC Eagle um, itself, especially towards the end of its run was trying really hard to kind of make this space for all of us who are into leather and kink. Um, And I loved that space. Uh, I actually got started, you know, I'd gone there for events Mm -hmm. and, you know, hanging out, just being there, talking to the bartenders, meeting people was really like a chill atmosphere. Like any bar that you walk into that literally has like little lockers and that's that's like a staple for leather plates. It's, um that has little lockers for you to be able to go ahead and s- put your clothes in so you can change it to your harness and your jock strap and all that stuff. So okay. like you, come, you come <laughs> looking normal and then you take your mm-hmm. shelf, put it in your fucking thing, and mm-hmm. like you get to walk around with your cheeks out and all that stuff. Like that But <laughs> that was that space and it was so dope.
0: So, so is, is anyone kind of trying to recreate that or open up another location?
1: We haven't heard word yet. Um, someone mm. did buy the copyright and the name. So we're just waiting to see what that person does with it um, outside of the Eagle itself, because the Eagle was the only official leather bar okay. in DC. So as of right now, there is no actual leather bar. There are spaces that have uh, leather nights and that's only like one or two bars. But for the most part, um, there's there's nothing left for us unless we just go for a specific night. But we're waiting, we're hungry for it, we need it. Like there's this thing that's happening where a lot of gay bars, uh, lesbian bars, of course, but a lot of gay bars and specifically like leather bars are shutting down because it's this whole idea of like, oh, we get to go ahead and hang out with everyone else and be a part of normal society. So we don't need these special spaces. And I'm just looking at these folks, like, are you, I'm gonna just keep it funky and keep it real. Like that's usually what you hear out of the mouths of white, Gay folk or people who are stuck on white. Because there's this idea of assimilation and we don't need these spaces. And when this is the only thing that is a part of your identity that you have to deal with getting pushed back against, you start to forget that there are many things about like the idea of assimilating into society should have never been and is not the goal for most of us because we'll never be able to take one thing away and assimilate into society. And why would I want to assimilate? Because it takes away like my space for me to be myself. Like I mean, I want like, We go to kink events. We don't go to events where there might be kink happening. A lot of us go to kink specific events. So this idea that we have to go ahead and make these spaces and go back into these larger spaces and we don't need a gay bar anymore. We just need a bar. It's like, the fuck? No, we need a gay bar because we need leather bars because these are spaces where we still get to express ourselves and not just one night out of the month we get to be ourselves.
0: definitely important to have those spaces. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually do now that someone has the rights to the Eagle.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're hopeful. Um, to my knowledge, the person who bought the rights uh, is not a part of the community at all. So that, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, because it was an open auction. So mm-hmm. it's one Things where it's like i don't know i'm hoping that it's not going to be something ridiculous you know i'm holding out hope i don't want to be miss dc eagle forever like (laughs) hopefully
0: hopefully the person's an ally at least um
1: yeah yeah. i mean they own other actual uh gay bars in the in the area but as far as being leather leather, yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so like I just I would love to see us get a space back. I would love to be able to pass on this title to someone else because mm-hmm. I ran for it because I did not want the title to just die. That happens a lot with miss titles in the leather community. They're seen as less than uh, to the men's titles. A lot of um, women and um, women identified folks don't run for them because there's a lot of this idea of, Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I don't have enough. Oh, I'm not ready. I need to do more. Like there's a lack of audacity that mm-hmm. happens uh, with women, especially black and Brown women. Um, and you need some audacity to be able to run for a title, just, just a smidge. And I did not want the title to die, especially because this, the Eagle had become a place that, had, that was my home. I was there every Wednesday every Wednesday, so I did not want that title to die, so I literally picked up the mantle and ran for it as, I mean, a glorified placeholder, to be completely honest. I love this title, and I love what, you know, I've been able to do before COVID, Um, but it was never, you know, for me to be that. It was always in the idea of passing it on to the next person, showing folks that you don't have to be this Tom of Finland-esque type of mold to do this. All types and stripes can do this. As long as you love this place and you can form complete sentences, run.
0: So, so let's, let's segue into gender identities. Um, what is gender identity? Um, can you help separate sexual orientation from gender identity? because a lot of people like to lump those together or they might have a good or uh, full grasp on what it is.
1: Yes, so gender identity is literally how I see and view myself as a person uh, within mm-hmm. this in the context of societal roles, okay. within or without um, of that. And sexual orientation is literally how I express myself sexually. Mm-hmm. And the titles that we use for sexual orientation may or may not be dependent on our gender identity, but gender identity is not dependent upon sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So I myself am non binary. I'm trans non binary and I, I carry that that's that's. That's something, because even to say, put the trans part in there, there are some people who don't understand and don't have an idea of what that actually means. Um, And, you know, I get questions like, well, how could you identify as trans if you were assigned female at birth and you haven't, you know, had any type of surgery? Trans, being trans is not dependent upon having surgery. For me, my transness is comes from the fact of the expectations and the assignment that I was given at birth are not what I am. And I have transitioned out of them. And I continue to transition every single day out of them. Um, my choice to not have specific surgeries, whether I would, or I wouldn't is my choice. Uh, but my trans is not dependent upon, you know, whether I get snipped and cut. There's a lot of reasons that people have for not going through medical transitions, but I've gone through social transitions. I do it every day. I have to do it every day when I correct someone when they call me woman or this that and the third. I have to do that constantly and consistently. So every day it's it's a helping the world to transition from this idea of who they think I am into who I actually am. Um, but my non-binariness is just simply, I don't fit into the mold of man or woman. I am gender full, not genderless. So in the idea of, I liken it to the very idea of, in most religions, there's the, um, the aspect and the belief that we're made in the image of God. So if God can make man and woman and everything in between, if I am made in God's image, I am man and woman and everything in between. And for me to actually become my fullest self is to have a realization of that and work towards that and let that be who I am every day. Like I've tried to live up to the standards of womanhood, uh, black womanhood at that. And I always say it felt like a shirt that was too tight that I was always struggling to get into. Like I really wanted it, I tried, but it just, it didn't, no matter how I contorted myself, It just, I couldn't get my head through the hole. My arm was just cracked up like that. Like I could never get into it because it's too constraining. And it's not just from an idea of what Western society says womanhood is. Like when I talk talk about myself to myself in my head, when I speak about myself and the things that I want to do, when I imagine myself in my head, it's not woman, but it's also not man. Um, it's this kind of just, it just is, it just is. And I, I very specifically say that, and it's not a a gender because there is some feeling and some connection there because regardless of who I am, I'm still seen as a black woman in a diaspora. And there are still things that regardless of whether how much I separate myself from womanhood, because that's not who I am that there are still certain things that overlap within that space. So politically, there is this idea and this understanding that Black womanhood is, there is some overlap there, but there's also for me some overlap in Black manhood. There's also some overlap. There's a lot of overlap in gender non-conforming identities that spanned from before we were ever co- uh, colonized and enslaved and brought here to the Americas. Like So there's just this understanding of never fitting completely into one space and having an affinity for a lot of different labels that we choose and groups that we choose to put ourselves in, but never fitting completely into one of them
0: when when did you become comfortable with publicly having this or have publicly saying this, this is my identity, gender-wise. These are my pronouns. And how did that How did it feel to actually do that for the first time?
1: Oh my gosh! Um, I would say it was probably about five or six years ago mm-hmm. that I finally started to get comfortable with that. And I spent most of my twenties just really trying really, really hard. I gave it the best go that I could give it. (laughs) It's like, I really, there were nights where people thought I was having issues with other stuff. And it was just, I would just look at women and and just be like, how, how can you do this? Like, what am I doing wrong? Why don't I feel this connection that y'all feel like, why? Like to, to this, to this thing. And it wasn't until coming in, um, to the Kent community and seeing other folks, um, live, their gender identity in ways that were comfortable for them, but not in this stereotypical idea of like the wayfish, uh, you know, pristine androgynous twink running around, white twink running around to see other people actually live this in the ways that they live it. And it was just like, oh, okay. Okay, so I can do this. So it, it wasn't until about six, um, yeah, about five or six years ago. And one of the first people I actually told ever after, you know, thank God for Tumblr, thank God for the kids. Thank God for these queer babies who are coming and building on what we have done. Because if it were not for them, taking to the internet and compiling these spaces, like I would not have had the journey, the the the, the ability to put names to what I was thinking about and feeling and finding that community there. So after going through Tumblr and, you know, oh, maybe Demi Girl, maybe this, maybe that. I actually sat down with my husband. It was literally right before we got married. Um, No, it was right before, like right after we got married. It was like, hey, um," no, it was before. I was like, hey, um, how would you feel if I told you that I'm not a woman? He was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, "Um, I'm just gonna come right out and say it. I I identify, I I don't feel like a woman, never really have. Um, I identify as non-binary. Um, here's some info on it. Like, are you okay with that? He was like, are you still you? Yep. Okay. No, no problem. We still get married. And I was just like that for me, that was a weight off of my shoulder. Yes. 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 We should all love ourselves and be ourselves. But (laughs) Humans are not solitary creatures, and being accepted by those that we hold dear is really important. So that was a huge weight lifted. So once he said that he was cool, I felt like I had at least one other person who was in my corner, so I could actually start. Yeah, so I could actually start publicly saying this. And honestly, it wasn't until the last couple of years—I would say like the last two to three years—that I actually um, very clearly reclaimed trans for myself. Um, like my brother was trans. So, my, uh, and I grew up with a lot of trans folks. And she was, you know, going through the transition and everything. And so much of what I understood being an 80s and a 90s baby with transness was, again, the whole medical transitioning. And you have to go between the poles of the binary in order for yourself to be trans. And it's just, and having conversation with other trans folk, there was an understanding that no that wasn't the case that wasn't even the case in the 80s and 90s like there are plenty of folks who lived their lives without having to do this one specific thing in order to be a part of this this huge umbrella that we have so yeah it wasn't until the last two to three years because I felt like I couldn't claim it I felt like I couldn't claim it that it wasn't mine I felt like I was doing a disservice to my brother who had passed to try to claim the same label that they had for themselves and it was just no no and I'm pretty sure she, she's she's clapping and snapping right now, just being proud of her little sibling.
0: So did you have any pushback from you know, close friends? Um, you, you, did, you, you, you have talked about your trans sister. Um, so it seems like your family may have been a little more supportive if I'm not mistaken or they actually, they understood in a way,
1: Um, so I actually don't, both of my parents have passed. So by the time I started actually really coming to these realizations, um, like my mother was the last one alive, and she did not, um, yeah, she, she died around the time that I'd actually started publicly talking about it. (laughs) Um, but for the most part, like I don't deal too heavily with my blood relation family, like they're there, but People are people, and like some people you're related to by blood, you only deal with them because you're blood. So I don't feel the need to have to go through the whole rigmarole of having to explain who I am because some of them aren't going to get it. There's some of them that are just going to be kind of passively like, "Okay, I don't really understand it," but and then there's going to be some of them who are like, "Well, it just doesn't make sense. We raised you to be a good girl, and it's just like "Mm, whatever." Um, So I just leave them where they lay. If they see this or hear this great, you guys know. Awesome. Um, If they don't, it's whatever I focus more on the family that I have. And like, just so much of my life before I got to this space to claim these labels. um, And more clearly these identities for myself to actually kind of really be the fullest person who I was. I spent a lot of time trying to fit into these spaces and be around people who knew that I was uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. bonded in our uncomfort, we both bonded in our discomfort, and that still can't recognize that I am who I am. And I've left that behind. Like I've had friends who I've talked about and have come back to me on Facebook. Well, you should just be happy that someone's calling you and wants to be close to you. You shouldn't get mad at someone calling you sis. And it's just like, but that's not that's not something that re, I, that respects me, that makes me feel good about myself. I don't understand how sis is different than sib sib. Sib is short for sibling. I don't, I don't, I don't, same amount of same amount of syllables same amount of effort to say it, but because of the importance that you place on your own gender identity, you can't give me the space to say what's clear for me and how we should interact. And there's always what I've encountered more than anything is just that for a lot of folks, especially when you bond over, and I'm speaking for me specifically, when you bond through some of the worst times in your life, when you start to get better and feel better, people the people who were there who you closely linked up with who are entangled with you get scared that you're not going to still be there because you're getting better Mm -hmm. that they can't that they're scared that they cannot connect with you outside of this traumatic space and you just like for me I just have to give them the grace and kind of just separate myself like that's not who I am that's That's not who I am anymore. And quite frankly, it honestly wasn't even who I was then, but I wasn't comfortable enough to be that person. I didn't have enough strength and enough life lived that I was comfortable with being that person. So there are some, there are some folks who gave pushback. I'm not, I've gotten pushback in the kink and leather communities uh, from some folks, but for the most part, there's just been, you are who you are. You are who you are. There are some folks who passively get it. um, And there are some folks who just fully outright actively celebrate it. So I'm thankful for that. Like I have spaces where I am celebrated for who I am and who I'm going to be.
0: Right. That's that's really important. You know, having that that system, having that space to be you, Mm -hmm. not to be judged, not to feel like you need to conform to someone else's view on what they feel like it should be. so hey i i definitely applaud that so let let's segue into spirituality and kink so i i've heard these terms of divine or sacred kink a few times and someone's saying it enables a distant alter state of consciousness um so how does bdsm and kink mix with spirituality um at least for you
1: For me, it is the recognition that everything is divine and mundane. Mm -hmm. Every single thing is divine and mundane. And the lines that we put into these things are the lines that we as humans decide to put into it, that that's not what it is. The most raunchy sex can be divine. And the most, the largest choir singing a hymn could be some of the most mundane bullshit you've ever heard in your fucking life. So it's all about these ideas. If it's for me, it's about the intentionality of understanding that there is always space for spirituality. There's always space for myself to engage in the quote unquote, higher parts of myself. And when I say the higher parts of myself, I'm just meaning the parts of myself that are in direct connection with spirit that are in direct connection with, um, on a, in alignment with my highest good. Not necessarily, because my highest good could still be me cussing the motherfucker out. My highest good has often been me being in a damn dungeon, mm-hmm. beating the dog shit out of somebody and them enjoying it. Like, so it's just these, breaking down these ideas of what it has to be, um, of what it has to be and just understanding that as human beings, as a human being, when I show up, I show up with my spirit along with my body. I show up with the connection that I have to what I have to Olodumare and the Orisha and my Egung in my Egbe. It's very clear for me uh, that so much of what I do, and especially my love of leather and being in the leather community, like if I had not had, if I had not had gone through the leather community and started going through some of that stuff, I would not have transitioned so easily into practicing, um, which most people know as worship because there's hierarchy and protocol involved in there. And I was the type of person who balked at that shit all the fucking time. No, 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 no. But it's involved in there the same way that to certain degrees it's involved in the leather community. And I've I've learned to separate the title that someone is given or covered with or have gone through initiation to get from their actual character. That is one of the biggest things that I've taken, that's taken me into the spiritual streets. Like knowing that just because someone has a title, it does not mean that they have the character that we often believe goes along with it. And just being in these spaces, like every time I show up in a dungeon, no, Shango is there. Like, Shango is there, Shango is there. My love of singing and dancing and drums is is directly linked to the fact that I'm a Shango priest. Every time I show up, like, I don't care. Gothic Symphony is there, but you're also playing with a Shango priest. Each and every time. And like, when I engage in that play, Even if it's light and joyful, like there is that exchange, there is that give and that take that you're taking a little bit of my Ache, my energy, and I'm taking a little bit of yours and we're just using it to fuse together and to make something that we set these intentions on, whether the intention is for it to be joyful, whether it's for it to be cathartic, whether it's for it to be like highly sexually charged, we're working together to create this moment that will just stand alone in itself in my dynamics uh when i when i engage in power exchange is very much so about am i moving in a way that if my ia who is not in the leather king community at all she calls everything i do slap and tickle fest she's not involved in this at all but if she were to see me engaging with this how would she look at this How would she, you know, she doesn't have to agree 100%, but if I can explain it and not feel shame while I'm explaining it, then I'm going to do it. The minute I feel like I have to feel shame explaining this to her or my Oluwo, who I hope that's the one person I don't want to find this. Um, Like, if I have to feel shame doing this, then why am I doing it? I don't...
0: Once you're into this, like, you... You shouldn't allow shame to take over.
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like some people love to play with shame. Mm-hmm. Some love to play with it. I I like, I'm a degrader. Not necessarily degrading, but I'm a degrader. But I know who I am and how I sit and how my mind works that I can't allow that into my space, into my being because it'll settle in and it, it takes root really quick. So if I feel shame about what I'm doing, then I need to think about what I'm doing. I need to actually... Take it apart and really think about this. Like there is no separation between my spiritual self and my kink self. There, there just is none for me. Everything that I do in kink is spiritual, and everything that I do in spiritual is a little kink. Because kink for me is not always just about oop, oop, like sexual shit. It's about the sensuality of it. It's about enjoying the body, it's about letting the mind feast. And in doing that, I give praise every time I engage in kink, every time I engage in my spiritual pursuits. I give thanks for this life, for this body, for this breath, for this mind, for this soul that I have, for the communities that I'm a part of, good, bad, or indifferent. So there is no separation. There is no separation in the service I give to my leather community from it not being spiritual. I use my power discernment when I move through these kink streets, the same way I use it everywhere else. So that, thats what it is for me. I know a lot of people talk about like eightfold path, this of whatever, but for me, it's literally about the understanding that there is no separation in those spaces other than the separations we make for ourselves, and that—that's it. It's that simple. Um, like I'm not going to show up at a spiritual event in kink wear because that's a—that's a—that's a boundary I put there for myself. But my full self goes to these events. I've had people ask me about kink at spiritual events off to the side, can you tell me a little bit about it? Because that's, that's a part of my purpose here on this earth is to help black people liberate themselves through sexual and sensual pursuits. They're having the understanding of who we are right now and where we've gotten to in these ideas of sex because people could continue to forget that black Americans specifically are very, very, very conservative sexually at large. So
0: I'm in the deep south. <laughs> bill. Bill.
1: <laughs> I was just reading something the other day, and there are there are people straight, like there are straight men who are just like, nah, I'm not gay. I'm not having, I'm not having sex with my girlfriend in the ass. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> how get here. How, how did we get here? So it's about unlearning all of these things. We cannot be free as a people until we free all parts of ourselves and that includes the sexual and sensual selves as well. So that is my purpose and that is my that is my purpose while I walk this earth is for me to help assist my people in liberating their sexual and spiritual um, sensual selves. Well, to the end,
0: I told you here a long time. I'm going to answer you a few more questions that we quit and then I'll let you go. <laughs> so what um what's some quick advice you would have for those interested in getting into pink
1: um take your time Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no reason to rush into these things there's no reason to pick a label um you get you can try as many different labels as you want some of them are are going to fit some of them are not um figure out why you want to do this um do you want to do it because your friends are doing it there's still some people who do stuff like that Um, But do you want to do this because it's something that genuinely sparks interest in you and read? Yes, read, 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 read. There's a lot of information out there, but also talk to people, talk to people outside of dungeons and dungeon spaces, because that's how you start to synthesize this information that you read. That's how you start to understand how it may or may not apply to you, and you get to build a framework of who you are in these aspects. Things that you want to try, things that you don't want to try. Talk to read read as much as you can get your hands on, but balance that with talking to people in real time. Uh,
0: that that's very true, and that in all of that. <laughs> um. So can you tell the viewers um, what's what's one lesson that you've learned through your journey in this lifestyle? Like one good lesson that you've learned?
1: Um, One good lesson that I've learned um, besides always keep condoms in your purse. um, Nothing is static. The only constant in life is change. Everything like Yes, the core of who you are will always be the core of who you are, but even that evolves and expresses itself in ways that are different now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. So be give yourself space to allow this very real truth of life to happen, even in kink. And to not take yourself so ser- for fuck's sake, please stop taking ourselves so seriously in this shit.
0: Life too short. Like COVID, COVID should have sold us all that. Like life too short. These jobs not worth it. Like <laughs> <laughs>
1: you really, even, the last thing they think of you is like, oh, they. I always had to call him Donley McDonald Pants. Like come the fuck on, <laughs> come the fuck on. Right playing with people whose names are like sassy kitten 214 and you're gonna take yourself that fucking seriously come the fuck on
0: I gotta gotta listen up so where where can the viewers best find you if they want to ask you some questions or get some more information on the onyx pearl eagle um leather and, and all the things we've talked about today
1: sure. Right. um, So if you see me on Facebook, don't send a friend request because I don't friend people. I don't know. <laughs> you can send me a message in my messenger, uh, but please don't send me a friend request unless I know you. Uh, but my Instagram is open to everyone. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, the username at, I think it's, yeah, if you type in at mx.com symphony, (laughs) S-Y-M, S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-E-E. You can find me on Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter in these Twitter streets. uh, That name is, I want to believe it's uh, M-X-symphony there, no period um, in between. Uh, Yeah, those are the two easiest places. If you prefer to find me through FetLife, it is Dadex. Symphony all one word G O D D E X X S Y M P H O N E E on fat life If you send me messages please say hi hello before you start firing off rapid questions Yeah I I promise like I'm nice like y'all heard me I've been laughing and joking I'm really I'm a nice person but there's certain, like, I was raised by Southern people. I'm still, I still live in Maryland, and I was raised by Southern people. a
0: wave or something, huh?
1: <laughs> Don't just come in my box like, hey, can you rape my pussy? Absolutely not, homie. <laughs> now, if you say, hi, can you rape my pussy? I might actually go ahead and give it a thought.
0: I can just imagine how many of those messages you get. I hear stories. Yeah. Just, just in the vanilla world I hear the stories that people get
1: Oh, yeah I've got I've gotten some I've gotten some and I thought I was going through a really nice sweet spot where I've, my inbox is dry <laughs> wow the universe is like so that means you want some
0: right and
1: blood. And it was just like god fuck shit <laughs> oh that's not what I wanted
0: well you know they appreciate your service for it you know so <laughs> somebody, somebody's got somebody's gotta do it <laughs>
1: I have raised my hand
0: to serve once. Can't <laughs> do it at all.
1: <laughs> this is not the Hunger Games. I do not buy as tribute. <laughs> Just so right.
0: Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. Um, it's, been, it's been awesome, and I think that the audience will love this as well. You gave some very good insights. So, that has been another episode of unconventional ways with Gothic Symphony. Look 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 them up, see what they're about and we're going to cut it there. Have a good night.